Hello, my beautiful beanies, and welcome to The Bean for Thursday. First with yesterday's news, I and Glenn ZB were looking back at Wednesday. Um, David Seymour and the ACT Party have done very well out of the last poll, uh, so we'll talk about that. Barry Soper hasn't done very well. He's injured himself. What's our backup plan? Um, Newey wants to um, go forward in time or back in time. They, they want to move the dateline anyway to the other side of them. And uh, a little bit of astrology with Marcus to finish up with. But first up, uh, the first leaders debate. What did Kerry make of all that? And even though it's been a campaign trail light because of the lockdowns, that just the constant pressing of the flesh and the constant travelling and the constant being on your toes, being able to answer any question from any member of the public, ranging from the RMA through to, do you remember going to school with my aunt's nephew? You know, it, it takes its toll. And I did think they looked a wee bit tired. I think they're only going to get more tired as the weeks go by. But did you get what you wanted out of it? I can't imagine anybody's mind would have been changed. You know, you saw the polls beforehand, and that must have been galling for the leader of National to see that they haven't been able to gain any traction. David Seymour, on the other hand, has, and you could understand disaffected National voters heading over to ACT. David Seymour's not just run a good campaign, but a good three years. So he's done done a great job. National seems to have tried to do its very best to disembowel itself and eat its own entrails in the lead-up to the election, but the ship has been steadied. And I thought we saw a flash of the old Judith Collins in the second half of the debate, which I enjoyed seeing. Uh, We weren't allowed to watch it in our house. Um, We were in the middle of season two of New Amsterdam. Um, and from every, I, so from everything I understand from the people who did watch the debate, um, season sixteen, uh, sorry, episode sixteen of season two of New Amsterdam was definitely more entertaining. Uh, David Seymour is usually pretty entertaining, though. Maybe that's why he's had a bump in the polls. He's held himself together at a time voters have watched National flounder. They have, of course, act cannibalised the Nats' vote. Those disillusioned with National's move to the centre and its softer more insipid campaign has clearly driven supporters to Seymour and you can't get away from the fact that he has provided a sharp alternative. His quick, slick, savvy, smart approach has clearly captured the minds and votes of those sick to the back teeth of team of five million talk, lockdowns and lack of delivery. But a stagnant national party means with just 41 seats, even when you act, uh, add Acts 9, it's still not enough to form a government. The Nats say they're happy with these numbers, but I don't know how they can be. Judith's been two months in the job, and she's down two points in the preferred leader numbers to 18%. uh, Jacinda still dominates at 54%. I wonder whether last night's strong performance from Judith might change things. Who knows? But what that poll shows clearly is that despite a second wave of COVID and a second lockdown for Auckland, the people are still clearly feeling positive about Labour. We may still be being driven a wee bit by fear, do you think? And wrapped up in that whole stay safe, be kind, hunker down mantra and not yet ready to really look beyond that. But uh, elections are won or lost, of course, as always, with the undecideds. And there were 14% of those. And it's how that 14% choose to vote 
which will decide the next government. Yeah, quite a lot of discussion about that 13, 14% yesterday, not least of which is that they seem to be on top of the 100% uh, when you added up all the numbers from the poll, because of course you can't allocate seats to undecided voters. Um, so much easier if, it, if you knew it was just going to be an even spread. Imagine if it's just all a late run for Winston and he ends up on 16%. I don't know why I say these things. I end up scaring myself. I gave myself goosebumps when I said that. And not not the good goosebumps kind, like the bad, scary goosebumps. The, the, I think somebody's about to come out of the closet with a carving knife and a hockey mask on kind of goosebumps. I may have overstated the case there. Um... Is that how Barry Soper injured himself? Probably not. We are joined by Barry Soper, who's feeling a little worse for wear. G'day, Barry. Hello, Barry. Good afternoon, guys. No, top of the world to you. It's, um, you know, no problem at all. Well, we saw, we, we got <laughs> sent a picture of your hand, Barry. And for those that don't know, perhaps you'd like to explain what happened. I think it's important because you're such a part of our show. Because we are talking to a wounded warrior here. <laughs> yeah, uh, one with a clipped wing. Well, um, essentially what happened, I was uh, running up to Ponsonby Road and um, these undulating footpaths. This was on Monday. Uh, in fact, I came on your show. In the, um, well, it wasn't you weren't on, but I came on the show on um, yeah. uh, lunchtime. And um, yeah. I didn't realise just how serious the damage I had done. Was, I'd fallen and um, snapped my pinky finger ooh, and ooh. Uh, was broken in a couple of places and... So uh, I ended up uh, late yesterday in surgery, uh, having a plate put in and a bone graft. So, <laughs> oh my yeah, goodness! Is it a bit over the top for a pinky? It's not. Uh, don't get me wrong. Uh, Barry Soper, he's a fundamental cog in our election machine. Um, and if if he goes down, I don't know what the backup plan actually is. I don't know who. Do we have a replacement cog for that machine? Or do we just go, sorry guys, we're not covering the election this time round. Barry Soper's got a sore pinky. Because um, you've got to be able to hold the microphone. I think that's, I'm not sure if it's his microphone holding hand or not. I'll try and look into that. Um, now, uh, here's a politician, but not from here, from Newey. Uh, he wants the dateline moved to the east. Tell me, why should Newey move to the other side of the dateline? Why do you want to do this? Oh, because it's, uh, it's more inconvenient with, uh, with uh, the businesses so that we can, you know, deal with New Zealand on the same day instead of dealing with them or trying to deal with them on the weekend, the Saturday and then doing our business here on Sunday, trying to get through to get the orders on your Monday. Oh, I suppose, because you'd be and missing a couple of days a week, wouldn't you, when, when people one, are yes, shut? Yes, yes. What's the process? How do you uh, do this? Oh, very, it's very simple. we just got to change our legislation. And uh, at the moment, we're, we're, the legislation says that the time will be 24 hours uh, after New Zealand. So all we've got to put there instead is the calendar in Nui shall be the same as New Zealand. You know, simple wording. And uh, that's that done. And then uh, we should contact the uh, society in England uh, to do the change on the maps. 
I don't think Samoa's done that, but uh, it's a good idea so that the maps will show where the date line, you know, uh, changes and uh, uh, comes in and out. Are you going to cause uh, a kink in the map? Oh, thank you, Heather. Kink in the map. Great headline. I'm going to use that. Um, I can't figure out if whether they'll be going forward or backward in time by doing that. Uh, we've got... It happens twice a year, uh, the change of daylight savings, of course, um, this weekend. We're, having, we're going through the process of telling all our international correspondents that the time we are calling them is about to change by an hour, but nobody knows whether it's forward or backwards. And even though it happens twice every year, um, still nobody knows. They don't know, we don't know, nobody can remember... Astronomy, eh? Not, not as complicated as astrology, but it's up there. I'm a cancer. I don't even know what cancers are supposed to be. You see, now let's... What are we supposed to be? It doesn't even say. I don't know if I'm typical... I don't know if I'm a typical cancer. It's probably 100 years since we've even had a discussion like this. I think we'll probably say we're moody or contemplative or... Oh, no, you don't look up typical cancer systems. The first thing came up was blood in the urine. That must be, um, oh, this is a bad start for discussions. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, I, it, it's weird. It's my understanding I'm married to a cancer. It sounds bad too, doesn't it? There's no, I've always thought it's a real bummer to be a cancer. And what's really weird is that most cancers are born in July, and it's my understanding that more people are born in July than any other month. So there are more cancers out there than any other, and yet it's the most horrible name for a star sign. Who wants to be a cancer? Nobody. And I, and I think that's it's the crab as well. So you, not only are you cancer, but you're crabby. They should get that changed. I'm Glenn ZB. Funny how we haven't thought about astrology for a while. Marcus is right about that. Uh, that has been News Talk ZB, and we'll be back here with more of your um, astronomical predictions tomorrow, probably. Astrological. Which one's which? <laughs> <laughs>